B.C. shifts focus in the fight against the variants. It is here, and it's increasing, and it is causing more transmission. Skyrocketing infections and new powers to close businesses. Fast-tracking vaccine delivery. That we uh, are capable and able and are delivering vaccine at a rapid rate here in B.C. How the province is picking up the pace, with more people than ever registering for appointments. And a major boost for struggling businesses. We are establishing a $50 million circuit breaker business relief grant. Who's eligible and for how much? You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with breaking news. BC has set a new daily COVID 19 case number. And it is jaw-dropping. It is also not the only new benchmark we hit today. We have 1,293 new cases. That is a record, bringing BC's total to more than 108,000, with 9,184 of those cases currently active. 15,203 people are in self-isolation. That is also a record. 336 people are in hospital, 101 of them in the ICU, and sadly, two more people have died. Well, the province is putting in a new order allowing a more targeted approach to shutting down businesses where there is transmission of the virus. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with the details on that. Keith, uh, this is in the hopes that broader sector-wide shutdowns Mm -hmm. can be avoided. Exactly, Sophie. So this is called an expedited worksite uh, uh, closure order issued by Dr. Bonnie Henry today. It basically gives WorkSafe uh, BC officials the power under the Public Health Act uh, to go into a premise of uh, the premises of any worksite where three or more people test positive for COVID-19, do an investigation with public health officials. If they determine transmission has taken place on those premises, that business or whatever the, the premises happen to be will be shut down for at least 10 days, likely lo- longer. Dr. Bonnie Henry today making the point she didn't want to do a whole sector by sector shutdown she considers that to be a blunt approach and thinks this approach is better this is just an ongoing um, uh, part of our program to help control the outbreaks and a more targeted approach to workplaces across the province in, in, to help us make sure that we are keeping things functioning as safely as possible and to avoid the need to have sector closures that are really a blunt tool. Um, in this case, we can keep, um, keep people working safely and we can augment the measures already in place. All right, Keith, for the first time today, Dr. Henry did not say her usual refrain, Mm -hmm. be kind, be calm, be safe. Uh, She also spoke to the fatigue of our healthcare heroes, and she was very clear on what we should and should not be doing right now. Yeah, Dr. Henry today, unlike I've seen her for quite some time, I'm sure her visits to frontline healthcare workers obviously affected her today. I think she seemed quite frustrated with the number being so high when we've been, she's been asking people to take those measures for so long and very direct in her, not just advice today, but her order to you uh, not to do certain activities. And she was very clear and definitive on a number of them. We have strict orders about not socializing with people outside your household. It is not okay to have friends and family over right now. It is putting them at risk. It is not okay to go on a weekend getaway. That is not essential, nor is your ski trip just because you have a pass. 
It's not okay right now to have a wedding, a birthday, any of these ceremonies where we come together because we are putting people at risk. So again, Dr. Henry being more direct and specific uh, than I've ever seen her in this pandemic, Sophie, which speaks volumes, I think, of the situation she thinks we find ourselves in right now. A thousand cases a day. You can be sure tomorrow we're going to have more than a thousand COVID mm -hmm. cases, likely for some time a day. All right, Keith, let's hope we can get through this. Keith Baldry in mm -hmm. Victoria. The province is stepping up now to help small businesses hurt by the latest round of COVID restrictions. Owners can apply for a one-time grant to help pay for rent, wages, or a number of other costs. As Kylie Stanton reports, the money is welcome relief for businesses facing a mountain of uncertainty. They've shifted to takeout and are always up for trying something new. Yeah, so this is our, you know, Greek market. So of course. By now, small business owners like Dimitri Adamopoulos are used to working under pressure and getting creative. But more than a year into this routine, the latest round of restrictions has hit hard. It was very chaotic and very difficult to, again, pivot really hard uh, in order to be able to keep doors open and keep people working. The provincial government is now stepping up with some relief, announcing a new $50 million circuit breaker business relief grant, money set aside from the small and medium-sized business recovery grant program. This grant will provide businesses up to $10,000 in one-time funding. 14,000 businesses across the province are expected to be eligible. The funding is said to be easy to access, with applications opening next week. We're in very, very uncertain times, and certainly businesses, this is helpful and very much needed uh, step. But there is a catch. Any business that was ordered to close or has had its license revoked after not complying with public health orders will not be eligible. Also not on the list, nonprofit charity groups like food banks, leaving the sector that has 63,000 full-time employees in the capital region alone on the brink. And we wouldn't want to see any of that go away because if the agencies go away, their work goes away and the jobs go away. It would only add to the growing number of small businesses actively considering closing or claiming bankruptcy. As of January of this year, it was estimated there were 15%, or roughly 24,000, across the province. I can only imagine that that number has stayed the same or unfortunately perhaps has increased. Whether this latest grant will help some stay afloat a little while longer is a big unknown. But Adamopoulos chooses to be optimistic, taking whatever help he can get. Just one round at a time. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Well, with COVID numbers rising at a shocking rate, fears are growing that our hospitals could soon be overrun and it could all come down to variants. With more, let's head to Victoria and our Richard Zussman. Richard, hundreds of people are in hospital right now, more than 100 in ICU. What's the message today from health officials? Yeah, Dr. Bonnie Henry visited with frontline health care workers earlier this week. Keith alluded to that earlier. And what she found was a group that was exhausted and worried about what's coming next. It has been the priority concern of the pandemic. Keep our hospitals running. And once again, pressure is ramping up. We are seeing whole families need to come in for care with mother and father being in the ICU and having children who are on the COVID ward, adult children. 
With COVID-19 cases soaring to new highs, hospitalization rates continue to climb as well. On March 11th, there were 244 people in hospital in BC with the virus, a steady climb to 336 on Thursday. Transmission is happening so rapidly and people are ending up in hospitals. The great unknown, the variants with higher transmissibility. And although hospitalizations are not higher among young people with variant cases, younger people are going to ICU at a higher rate. These are overall ICU numbers. 68 people in ICU of all ages on March 11th, now up to 101. And BC is ready if it gets worse. We have measures in place should the situation, uh, should the rate of hospitalization continue to increase substantially. The province has been tracking whether variants are driving hospitalizations. In March, 4.2% of COVID cases ended up in hospital, 4% of those without a variant case, 5.2% for those with B117, and 4.3% for those with P1. 4% of, of 1,000 people is much more than 4% of 400 people. So yes, we are watching that very carefully. Earlier this week, Dr. Henry meeting with healthcare workers in Metro Vancouver, the epicenter of the pandemic, a clear frustration emerging. When we see sometimes the things that are happening with parties or events or people not taking it seriously, it's very hard for us to see that from the inside of a hospital. But the BC Greens say it's the rules that need adjusting. The two MLAs calling for the province to completely overhaul restrictions, calling for COVID zero, shutting down non-essential travel, moving to online schooling and closing non-essential business. Instead of letting this third wave get on top of us, let's try to get in front of this wave. The Ministry of Health has just sent me some numbers in terms of hospital capacity right now. In Fraser Health, 70.2% for total occupancy. Vancouver Coastal Health, 69.5%. And also the underlying message, Sophie, from Dr. Henry, if you need to go to hospital, go to hospital. Even if you don't have COVID-19, there is space for you. And she wants to encourage people that need to use hospital facilities to do so. All right, thanks for that, Richard Zussman in Victoria for us. Well, the news today that B.C. residents over the age of 65 can now register for their vaccines moves the province's timeline ahead. And while Canada is still lagging behind other nations, the country is making some progress. Aaron MacArthur has a status report. With website registration open to people over 65... Combined with pharmacy appointments for people older than 55, almost a third of British Columbians are now covered by an actual shot or the ability to book one. Despite the progress, the province says it's still waiting for more supply. If we could get a million more doses, we have the system in place, we have the capacity in place to deliver that. While supply might still be the issue, provinces are showing varying degrees of success in getting jabs into arms. At any given time, the lag in delivery means only about 70% of all doses are being used. Ontario has managed to use 70.3% of its supply, more than a million doses still on ice. The number is higher in Quebec, and to show you how quickly it can change, Wednesday, BC was able to give out almost 39,000 shots, pushing this province's utilization rate back up above 70% you have to have some reserve in the freezer. You have to, because there are 
supply chain issues that arise, and you just need some vaccine in the bank in case something comes up. And the reality is those countries that are most ahead in terms of receiving vaccines are those with domestic capacity. Considering the atrocious beginning to the vaccination campaign, Canada is doing better than many people might realize. While lagging well behind the U.S. and U.K., the country sits third among G7 nations, with 17% of the population receiving at least one dose. Provinces and territories will be in a position to vaccinate uh, all Canadians that are um, we're expecting to vaccinate the adult population um, in time for um, summer to early fall. By the end of Thursday, it is expected 20% of all adults in B.C. will have been given at least one dose of vaccine. It's a good start, but still a long way from anything resembling herd immunity. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Inside information on money laundering. A former top cop in charge of investigating organized crime in casinos testifies about what he knew and what happened when he told the people in power. That's next on the News Hour. A Vancouver company holds the claim to mine 3,500 hectares of pristine BC wilderness. But wait till you hear what they did with it instead. That's later in the news hour. And the mystery man behind CBUS memes, a viral social media account poking fun at BC Newsmakers. That's still to come. Right now, though, a review of the Delta Police and two of its officers has wrapped up. The investigation stemmed from an incident 10 months ago involving the chief's wife, Lorraine Dubord, who was accused of spraying another woman with a garden hose. Catherine Undercourt has more on the final report into the incident. More than 10 months after the incident, Global News has obtained the final investigation report into how it was handled. The report, which is 259 pages long, was done by the Vancouver Police Department for the Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner. It details extensive efforts on this file, which included getting warrants to access phones, emails, and even documentation from the Delta Police Board. The investigation focused on the actions of the department and two police officers. First, Delta Police Sergeant Sarah Swallow faced an allegation of neglect of duty under the Police Act for secretly tape-recording complainant Kieran Sadu. The report states that Sergeant Swallow did neglect her duty when she failed to advise Ms. Sadu that she was recording their phone call. However, it's deemed this could have been a mistake, and the allegation of misconduct is found to be unsubstantiated. Staff Sergeant Beltej Dillon, who works for the CFSEU, was facing an allegation of discreditable conduct under the Police Act. As the alleged assault was under investigation, Dillon met with the Dubords and separately with Kieran Sadu, raising questions about possible influence. But ultimately, the report finds that Staff Sergeant Dillon was attempting to promote growth in the area of racial awareness, and the allegation of discreditable conduct was found to be unsubstantiated. In clearing the officers and the Delta Police Department, VPD Inspector Flewelling states, I have determined that the evidence is not clear, convincing, and cogent. Kieran Sadu says she has chosen not to challenge the findings of the investigation, but she told Global News that she is disappointed and still believes that there was misconduct. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. 
The former head of the RCMP Integrated Proceeds of Crime Unit told a familiar story today at the inquiry into money laundering in B.C. Barry Baxter told the Cullen Commission that while it was widely believed that international organized crime was filtering money through casinos, there was no political will to stop it. John Hua reports. Even to the untrained eye, stacks of $20 bills dumped at a casino cash cage seems pretty suspicious. This really appeared to be sophisticated money laundering. Barry Baxter, the former officer in charge of the RCMP's Integrated Proceeds of Crime Unit, told the Cullen Commission when he took command back in 2010, he had no doubt organized crime groups were using BC casinos to clean their cash. $400,000 $400,000 in, in Canadian 20s is $20,000, $20,000, twenty dollars bills. Where do you get that? You, you can't generate that in a business. So Baxter tasked a special money laundering unit to try and trace the cash heading into casinos. Police believed Asian triads saw it as an easy way to clean their dirty money, even offering up the service to Mexican drug cartels and Middle Eastern crime groups operating across Canada. It was the Asian groups um, that were the facilitators for the other ones as, as the, the bulk deposit area. And everybody got their money back. Baxter said with the full support of his superiors, this was made a top priority for the special money laundering unit. He also had no problem telling the media at the time what was happening in casinos didn't smell right. We were all of the same mind that this has to be dirty money. This, There's something wrong here. One person who did not agree, the B.C. minister responsible for gaming at the time, Rich Coleman. He did not agree with what I had said. And further that he had uh, spoken to my superiors and they agreed. Baxter said he would later get a call not from his direct federal superior, but the assistant commissioner of the B.C. RCMP, Craig Callens. Yeah, it was a bit of an unusual statement he said i had to know my audience and i'm not really sure what he meant by that baxter said he offered callens a full briefing on the casino investigation but that was declined he said he was directed not to speak with media again shortly after the bc lottery corporation came calling to meet about the rcmp's money laundering concerns the standard response despite you know very good discussion was you know we just don't agree with you And at one point, the statement was made and neither does the minister. Baxter said BCLC's explanation was once a patron with bundles of cash came back more than once, it was no longer suspicious. They were just wealthy VIPs based offshore. But they didn't come here with $460,000 in Canadian 20s. They got that money somewhere. uh, And we believe it's from criminal activity. Despite Baxter's concerns, federal RCMP restructuring would disband the Integrated Proceeds of Crime Unit in 2013. The casino money laundering investigation was dropped. The priority shifted to terrorism and national security. And I said, boy, this, I think, is going to come back and bite us. In the years following, the stacks of suspicious cash flowing into BC casinos would skyrocket. A serious threat Baxter observed from day one, allowed to spiral out of control. John Hua, Global News. Up next, the party is over. We cannot be having this type of event right now. How Dr. Henry shut down these floating hotspots. Also tonight, debt crunch. Why more and more Canadians are feeling it.
Delays here on the Columbia on-ramp to southbound Patello Bridge out of New West due to a police incident. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a police incident near the Patello Bridge. A houseboat party in Kelowna that broke public health orders has now led to the temporary shutdown of operations. The tail end of the shocking event was caught on camera. But as Global's Claudia Van Emmerich reports, despite the evidence, it doesn't look like any fines will be issued. A shocking scene in downtown Kelowna Saturday night as a party boat pulls into the dock on board what looks like more than 20 people. We cannot be having this type of event right now. We have an order that restricts uh, uh, vacation rentals and vacation accommodations and houseboats fall into that. The houseboat is operated by Kelowna Cruises, which has now ceased operations until at least April 24th. There are fines for not only the people organizing these and the businesses that are allowing these to happen, but also for people who are attending. But in this case, it doesn't look like any fines will be issued. While IHA would not comment on camera, in an email to Global News, the health authority said it has spoken with the operator and at this time, no tickets or further enforcement is being considered. It went on to say that the operator voluntarily seized operations for three weeks and will not restart operations until an environmental health officer approves of its new COVID safety plan. Global left numerous messages with Kelowna Cruises. So far, though, there's been no response. But in a Facebook post from August of 2020, Kelowna Cruises states that the safety of its passengers and crew is of the utmost importance. It goes on to say that throughout the 2020 season, it has been proactive regarding COVID-19 policies and procedures, and that it has corresponded regularly with Interior Health and the BC Centre for Disease Control as to how to operate safely. Safety plans were not followed this past weekend at a time when there's a record-breaking number of COVID cases in BC. Claudia Van Emmer, Global News, Kelowna. Some troubling news when it comes to consumer debt in this province. The latest MNP Consumer Debt Index released today finds the number of British Columbians barely holding off insolvency is at a five-year high. With some advice to help, let's bring in Consumer Matters reporter Andrea. And thanks, Sophie. The MNP Consumer Index measures Canadians' attitudes toward consumer debt. Fifty-three percent of British Columbians say they are two hundred dollars or less per month away from not being able to pay their bills and other debts. The concern is those numbers could rise as pandemic-related support and loan deferral programs begin to unwind. A licensed insolvency trustee with MNP says financial relief measures put in place during the pandemic provided some breathing room, but now we are seeing a quick reversal. Many households in BC are feeling anxiety about making ends meet, and we may see households fall behind on payments or defaulting on loans, mortgages, car payments, or credit cards. 27 7% of British Columbians reported they have taken on more debt as a result of the pandemic. 21% have tapped into their savings to pay bills. 18% are tackling debt by using credit cards. 7% have used a line of credit. And 3% have deferred mortgage payments. Historically low interest rates are giving people a false sense of security, I think. They're taking on more debt to solve their debt issues, which is 
a trap, really. It's, a, it's just a cycle of debt that people find it very difficult uh, to get out of. People are using debt as a solution, so the more you take on, then the less you have in your monthly budget to pay for those regular household expenses. So when inflation rates, rates rise, you're going to need more money each month just to pay for your groceries. So then you have less money to deal with to make debt repayments. So if you have more debt, and then when the interest rates rise, you're going to find that you have even less wiggle room or no wiggle room at all. So what can you do if you're struggling with debt? A licensed insolvency trustee may recommend setting up a budget to monitor income and expenses, refinance, renegotiating the term and interest rate on existing credit accounts to reduce debt, liquidate, sell high-value assets like a car which may not be needed right now, or recreational properties, perhaps sporting goods you don't use anymore, and consolidating debts into a single monthly payment with a lower average interest rate. If you find yourself in a financially vulnerable position, you may want to think about working with a licensed insolvency trustee who can help deal with debt issues. And if you have a consumer issue for me, there's my email address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, thanks for that, Anne. Still ahead, red hot real estate. We could see the average price of a million dollars for a single family home in Kelowna. The frenzy that's spreading far and wide. Also tonight, major improvements to one of BC's most challenging highways. Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC. Brought to you in part by the BCTF, our kids and their teachers, worth investing in. As the evening commute winds down, counterflow is out over here at the Massey Tunnel and traffic is moving well both ways. Time to renew your home insurance. Switch to BCAA for local knowledge, customized coverage and valuable ways to save. Visit BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison at the Massey Tunnel. The current superheated state of the housing market in the Fraser Valley is well documented, but it turns out that's not the only region where buying a home has turned into the Hunger Games. Ted Trinecki reports. Welcome to this beautiful open concept. There's nothing like March Madness to add fuel to BC's red-hot real estate market. Metro Vancouver just set an all-time high for sales in the month of March. And it doesn't seem to matter where you are because there always seems to be way more buyers than sellers. March, we've seen the highest number of listings hit than we have in the last 12 months. But because so many listings are selling quickly, they're sort of being added at the same rate they're being sold. March, year to year, shows a dramatic price increase, averaged out over all forms of housing. The interior, Fraser Valley, Chilliwack, BC North and Kamloops, all at around 30% increase in price. Kootenays 24%, Vancouver Island 21%, and Metro Vancouver at 11.1%. A closer look in, say, the Fraser Valley shows single-family homes are driving this market. A single-family home's median price is now $1.24 million up 25% in just one year. Townhomes up about 14% and condos at 6.5. In Metro Vancouver, single-family homes up almost 18% in price, townhomes 10.4 and condos 3.7%. It's a similar story everywhere in the province. My guess if it keeps doing this in the next 60 to 90 days, we could see the average price of a million dollars for a single-family home in Kelowna. So where are all these buyers coming from? Part of it is pent-up demand that built during the quiet days of COVID. The pandemic has put a new focus on telecommuting, and that's driving up prices outside Metro Vancouver. And then there's all the new uncertainty. Many people aren't putting their properties on the market. 
They're very concerned about where they go once they sell and whether there's going to be an, an option for them to maintain the lifestyle that they're used to. And so we're seeing so many people scared to list their home right now because they're more way, way more concerned about where, what they're going to buy once they sell. Every market has a ceiling, and when the cost of a single-family home doesn't make sense anymore, then buyers will turn to the townhouse market, and then condos. And as long as people are selling and buying, the provincial government is happily collecting its property transfer tax that in previous years has added about $2 billion to provincial revenue. Ted Scherneck, Global News. Despite the COVID-19 pandemic, the Okanagan is seeing a boom in the film industry with several productions underway in Kelowna, Penticton and the South Okanagan. Stringent safety protocols have been key to bouncing back from the early COVID shutdown, including breaking workers up into cohorts and discouraging them from, from entering the communities where they're filming. The Okanagan offers a cheaper alternative to Vancouver, and that has attracted a pilot for a major TV series produced and written by Kevin Costner. For us, that's amazing. You know, this is the missing, this is what I, we need as an industry here to have a series. The series will then bring longevity um, it has people working for six months a year at an all-in-one show. It's difficult to film anywhere, but it's extra difficult right now on the coast because there's so many shows. Um, there's so much going on. So, and with all the new rules that everyone, it, it's just, it's like three month waiting list for locations. The series is called National Parks and it's being produced for ABC. Improvements are coming to a notorious stretch of the Trans-Canada Highway. Construction begins next week on Highway 1 through the Kicking Horse Canyon in order to make it safer and more efficient. More than 12,000 vehicles travel the route daily, many of them commercial vehicles transporting goods. The measures include widening the highway for both vehicles and bikes, improving wildlife barriers and mitigating avalanche and rock slide risk. The B.C. government is contributing $385 million to the project, but the transportation minister says the cost of not doing the improvements is also costly. Uh, we also know that closures of Highway 1 due to crashes, uh, rock fall, other issues are extremely expensive as well. Uh, they cost trucking companies, they cost the tourism industry, they cost the economy in general uh, a lot of money annually uh, in delays and cancellations. So when we talk about building back better after the pandemic, we couldn't ask for better timing in that sense for this project. Teachers unions in the Fraser Health Authority are demanding the province invoke tougher measures to control COVID-19. The presidents of 12 unions issued a joint statement saying aggressive measures are now needed, particularly with the increasing prevalence of the variants of concern. They're calling for blended learning between in-person classes and online learning, as well as mandatory masks for all children from kindergarten to grade three when inside their classrooms. Coming up, the secret life of a local meme machine. I don't know. I, I still feel like I have like major imposter syndrome. We catch up with a mystery creator of CBUS memes about why it's taken off during the pandemic. And cultural cartography, mapping Canada's First Nations territory.
A Vancouver mining company has given up its mineral claim in a pristine corner of northwestern B.C. to help create a new nature conservancy. Skeena Resources partnered with the Talton First Nation, the province of B.C., Nature Conservancy of Canada, and B.C. Parks Foundation to preserve a 3,500-hectare slice of wilderness adjoining Mount Edziza Provincial Park. It's the first time a mineral exploration company is returning land to permanently protect an area of cultural significance to the Talten Nation. Well, long before Europeans mapped North America, indigenous people occupied the land without regard for the borders we recognize today. Much of that knowledge has been lost over the years, but Linda Aylesworth introduces us to a BC web developer whose creation is helping to keep indigenous knowledge alive. Before Europeans arrived in North America, there were no provinces or states or countries for that matter. There were indigenous territories, which through the centuries were largely forgotten. Growing up as a settler here in Okanagan, I didn't really learn much about indigenous people, especially indigenous people around me. Education was fairly limited. But then, a few years ago, this started happening. Good afternoon. Everyone, uh, I too am uh, grateful to be on the uh, traditional territory of the Lekonga-speaking people. I had actually heard some of my first uh, territory acknowledgments that I'd ever heard when I was living in Vancouver, and I was quite surprised adhering to territory acknowledgments. It inspired an idea. Victor Temprano, a web developer, decided to create an interactive web-based native land map. Basically what you're seeing is a mashup of a huge set of what we'd call Indigenous traditional territories. Click on languages in the upper left corner and you can see what was spoken in different regions. The same with treaties. And then there's the search bar feature. Say if you want to search um, like Kamloops, BC, you can type that into the map and it will actually zoom you into that location. Since Victor created Native Land Digital, it's become an Indigenous-led organization, which is, among other things, working to support educators from K to post-secondary. So that they're able to um, at least start that conversation with, with students about why it's important to know whose territory you're on. Much of the data on the ever-growing map is historical, so they count on input from the public. This is very much a starting point, and that if there are any fixes that are necessary, please reach out to us. That it's developed into an Indigenous organization is, in, is huge and is so meaningful to me like as a person to see it taking on its own life. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. A great idea. All right, uh, meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us with a look at that forecast. I will take tomorrow for next week. Oh, yes, absolutely. So what Sophie's talking about is that we could see some areas reach 20 degrees next week. I'll show you which areas and when you can expect it. First, blue sky and blossoms today. Yes, it was gorgeous, but we're still well below seasonal. Not to worry. That warmth will come. Look at the scene this morning in Clinton. And there's more snow on the way for some areas, not only potentially tonight, but into Saturday night as well. Snowfall warning for the Coquihalla. Uh, uh, we're talking about 20 centimeters for those areas. By the way, the snowfall for the lower elevation regions. It's very minimal, a couple of centimeters, but nonetheless, it is April. This is where we're going to see the significant snowfall. It's over higher elevation regions, and that could be the case across the south coast as well. Certainly, the local mountains will see some snow up towards Whistler, but there's a chance we could see some wet snow over higher terrain for our region. That's how cold it will be. Generally, for your Friday, wet, windy, and chilly, with highs reaching only 7 to 9 degrees, well below seasonal for this time of year. Saturday morning, though, it all begins to clear out, but you can still see a 
few flurries in through the interior regions. But this is what you have to look forward to. So by middle to next or end of the next week, we'll start to see temperatures in the 20s for the interior. In the meantime, there's your Friday, everyone. So we are going to see wet, windy conditions. The snowfall mainly through the overnight period, uh, changing over to showers. Wet, windy and chilly for our region. Seven degrees is six degrees below seasonal. But it means that we are headed towards that, everyone. So sensational conditions by looks like potentially Tuesday. And I'll leave you with tonight's central windows weather window. Another blossom shot from uh, the Burnaby area. Thank you to Art Fung for that one. Beautiful. Thank you, Christy. All right, Squire is here now. What are you applauding? Well, I was just going to, oh, well, I was applauding the photo. I thought it was lovely. It is. Yeah. Very nicely framed. Very lovely colors. Like, uh, well, Golf clap. A golf clap, although they're much louder these days. Well, that's more of a golf clap. <laughs> this is like, um, I don't want to interrupt anybody clap. But I want to show my appreciation. Oh, speaking of this, white caps and chorus were like this now. We'll tell you about that. Also, uh, one of the few Canucks who hasn't gotten COVID did get a new contract. From Quinn Hughes, let's one go. Tipped and Tanner Pearson with the deflection. Tanner Pearson given a new three-year deal, which has surprised a lot of Canuck Nation. Also coming up tonight, CBUS memes and how the creator of this social media hit finds his inspiration. Do we have a COVID update on the Canucks? Yes, we do, actually. It's a good COVID update. Oh. Yes. A lot of news out of the Canucks today. First off, no new tests positive. No new players tested positive for COVID. So perhaps the spread has stopped at Rogers Arena. Let's, let's hope. Um, I guess I should do that. Let's hope. But the other piece of news actually got people talking about something other than COVID when it came to the Canucks. Vancouver signed Tanner Pearson to a new three-year contract worth $3.25 million per season, which is about a half million less than they're paying him this year. But it's still a deal that makes a lot of people ask, why? Unless Vancouver has a higher salary cap than every other team in the NHL, Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes, they still need new contracts and they will be huge. And even though some deals this season will end, like Edlers and Sutters, Jim Benning will have to do more salary cap contortions with this Pearson deal. And as we've seen in the past, when he's tried these kind of contortions, sometimes Jim ties himself into a knot. Now, Tanner Pearson is obviously not a Louis Erickson like Albatross. He can still help. The players love him. So do the coaches. The offense isn't reliable, but he does play a 200-foot game and perhaps getting hurt lessen any team's trade offers to the Canucks for Pearson. Maybe that's why they decided to keep him. But still, this seems like too much for a team that has too many contracts that are too much for guys who aren't true frontline players and big scorers. All right. Well, Vancouver did get some good news from the Montreal-Winnipeg game. The Habs have now used up all their games in hand in Vancouver. They're eight up, but they didn't win tonight. Nick Ehlers, nice goal there, 4-2 Winnipeg over Montreal. Well, we are very happy to announce that the Vancouver Whitecaps and us here at Chorus have partnered up. Whitecap games will now be heard on AM 730 for the next two seasons with Corey Basso and Colin Miller. And a weekly coaches show will be heard on CKNW 980 as well. The season opener is April 18th against Portland. And that is when Lucas Cavallini hopes to start a campaign that includes a lot of goals, which for him were a bit hard to come by last season the right pass. It's a decent ball and it's one and it's finally Lucas Cavallini. Lucas
Lucas Cavallini ended last season delivering the kind of goals he and the Whitecaps expected when they lured him away from Liga MX in Mexico for a club record transfer fee of $6 million. But with COVID interrupting the MLS season in early March, it took a while for Cavallini to get comfortable and find any traction on the pitch. But he still led the team with six goals in 18 appearances. And even though things are still very much COVID-affected in 2021, Cavallini's in a better spot now. His wife and three young children have joined him in Salt Lake City, which is home base for the Caps this year until the borders reopen, and the family atmosphere is extended with his teammates. We're all living same places, so it's good. Uh, you know, we gel, that chemistry starts to gel more. Um, and that helps. Some people may not know, but that's part of what, how, what makes teams perform better. Cavallini's had the jump start on his Whitecaps teammates this year after playing two World Cup qualifying games with the national team last month in Florida. Cavallini ended up scoring a hat trick as Canada flexed its muscles against an overmatched Cayman Islands side. There's still a long road and much tougher opponents ahead to get to the 2022 World Cup, but Cavallini truly believes this Canadian team can get there. I can almost taste it. You know, I, I dream of it. I dream of it every day, you know. Uh, that last match where we eventually qualified for the World Cup, uh, I mean, it's something that, that's that's there. It's almost there, but I mean, we still have a lot to prove, and we just got to take it step by step. James Paxton of Ladner has been told he may need Tommy John surgery to repair the uh, pitching arm he injured the other night. If he goes for that surgery, he'll be out the rest of this year and part of next season. He wants to seek a second opinion before deciding. Okay, round one of the Masters, and Rory McIlroy had another rough first round, a 76. But on this shot, he hits his dad with a ball. And because of that, he's grounded and out of the tournament. Oh yes, really, he hit his dad, but he, he's not grounded, his father reconsidered. Okay, so Corey Connors is in the field, birdie putt on 15, tie for 20th at plus one. Mackenzie Hughes, even par 72, he's 13th, Mike Weir is plus one. Only 12 players in the field broke par. The guy who really broke par was Justin Rose, who had a bit of a struggle at the start, then went on a tear. This is on 17. That led to a birdie, 7 under 65, and he has a four-shot lead. He was 9 under on his last 11 holes. Just four. There you go. He's getting his allowance taken away for the week. <laughs> All right. Thanks very much, Squire. Let's check in with Jay Durant for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jay? Thank you, Sophie. We're on scene of a developing story unfolding at this hour and a police presence in Burnaby. Here's a shot from our chopper at Gallardi and Lowheed Highway. Police have surrounded a vehicle on the side of the road. Witnesses say the SUV appears to have some bullet holes. We've reached out to police for details. Plus, the latest on Curtis Sagmole and the man accused of assaulting a police officer. We'll tell you why police have issued a warrant for his arrest. Those stories and more coming up tonight at 11, Sophie. Sounds good. Thanks, Jay. Up next, the man behind the memes capturing lots of attention on social media these days. Stay with us. The meme is an emerging art form, perfect for social commentary, and an Instagram account run by a man known only as Daddy Seabus has taken off during the pandemic. As Jordan Armstrong reports, it has become a millennial barometer of sorts on how government is handling the situation. What? Here comes the second wave. Second wave, second, second wave. New cases every day. Have you heard of Seabus memes? 
No. No. Let's ask someone of a different generation. I just think it's like relatable um, for young people in Vancouver that, you know, are kind of like fed up with a few things that are going on. Think of it as a modern day editorial cartoon page. The Instagram account dedicated to local humor lampoons pretty much anything and anyone with weekly memes and occasional videos. Hey yo, Bonnie, why you not responding to my DMs? Why? I sent you like a hundred of them, girl. I know you see them. Don't act like Seabus Memes is the brainchild of this guy, a North Vancouver millennial who works in the tech industry, known to his 85,000 plus followers as Daddy Seabus. There's only so many things you can say about the C-Bus. So I sort of started to broaden it to Vancouver and then more BC. Now he spends 20 to 30 hours a week cooking up pandemic-related content. Dr. Bonnie Henry is a frequent target. For the record, she did not message him. That was just part of the shtick. No, I actually don't enjoy <laughs> making, making fun of Bonnie Henry. Uh, I think Horgan is my favorite. His, like, attempts to sort of be relatable to the youth are hilarious. While government has had some well-publicized messaging fails, Daddy Seabus is quick to give credit. It must be so difficult to navigate these waters and, and just, like, get people to do things that they don't want to do. So, is he making money? Not really, just a bit for merchandise sales. He thinks the pandemic has renewed our collective appetite for local news and local humor. And his goal is to turn this into a full-time gig. Premier, you've been warned. Just got a text on my phone and it's working. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. It's pretty funny. 87,000 followers now. <laughs> I imagine there will be more now after tonight. Mm-hmm. All right, final word on the weather, Christy. Oh, I can't tell you how much I'm looking forward to next week. And I'm sure a lot of people will be. Now, tomorrow, though, bundle up. It's going to be chilly, wet, and windy. Uh, no wind warnings in effect, but nonetheless, make sure the kids are prepared for tomorrow. And then you pull out the sunglasses and sunscreen, everyone. I'm not kidding, because that's going to feel hot compared to what we've been dealing with. We'll take it. <laughs> we'll take it. All right, that's all the time we have. Thanks for joining us. Have a good evening, everyone.